This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is where we discuss warfighting skills and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group here at the Joint Readiness Training Center, and thanks for joining us for another episode of The Crucible, the JRTC Experience. And today, uh, we're fortunate to be joined by Major General Leneve, All-American 6. And so uh, every non-commissioned officer that I served with in the division is probably terrified right now that somehow I ended up in front of you. But, sir, uh, thanks for joining us. And not only All-American 6, uh, but a former COG here. So a ton of experience th through the years here. And, sir, if you, if you don't mind, if you could tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, and kind of your experiences in the Army up to this point, sir. Yeah, so hey, hello, everybody. Um, I'm honored to be here. It's always great to be back at JRTC. I think two years here as the COG. Um, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and I joined the Army a um, long time ago. Uh, served basically in light divisions um, you know, throughout my career and have the honor and the privilege of commanding 19,000 of the best that our country has. Yes, sir. Um, sir, thanks for joining us, and we got to spend some. We've gotten to spend some time together over the years. Yeah, I don't know why you're so clean. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I just took my face paint off, and you're. Like, I know, you got sir. A shower I know. And, and well, and we're just out of the field. And, I don't think you've been in the field. Uh, I haven't seen you this whole rotation. And you know, another uh, you know another great part about this is you were the commander of operations yeah. group when I came through here and made a ton of mistakes as a battalion commander. I'm shocked you're the cog with all the mistakes you yeah. made. Yes, sir. I get that a lot. <laughs> Um, you know, sir, so uh, for you, you know, wh what, you know, what do you think uh, the JRTC rotation really does for your brigades and, and why, why, is this, uh, why is this training important? Yeah, that, so uh, if, first off, um, you know, we, c we can get to a high level of readiness at Fort Liberty um, with our operational readiness cycle and uh, the ability uh, to, to focus a brigade through a, a you know, a, an intensive training cycle. Here's what we can't do, and this is what is so uh, incredible of our combat training centers. This is why, you know, they're the crown jewels of the Army. What I can't do is produce, uh, uh, in time and space, the thinking enemy uh, that the brigade can go up against. Uh, and to do it at scale, uh, over an extended period of time. Um, so uh, what the training centers uh, enable us to be able to do is to fight a thinking enemy. And, and uh, you know, you hear all the things, you know, Geronimo has all the playbook and everything like that, but what people don't realize is Geronimo is an infantry battalion, and they're going through the same processes that the brigade is going through. They're doing their uh, mission analysis, commanders giving guidance, they're, they're going through their combined arms rehearsals, they're trying to synchronize, uh, you know, all of their assets uh, in order to take advantage of the, the blue force out there. So you have these two formations that are fighting out. Geronimo has uh, the advantage of the knowledge of the terrain. That's going to be anywhere we go. Uh, so it gives us an opportunity to, uh, 
uh, to really shake out our systems. That's, that's one. And then the other one for the CTCs and, and JRTC um, in particular, because I've had so much time here, is we get to test new TTPs out. Uh, and what a great opportunity. Does it work or does it, does it not work? If it doesn't work, no harm, no foul. Go back to the drawing board. If it works, then let's, let's you know, dig in a little bit deeper and get it throughout the formation um, if we're really seeing some success. One of the areas right now, our new Delta company um, uh, formation, kind of we're testing right now what does a Delta company look like uh, and, and if we could just focus expertise uh, on a couple weapon systems. So instead of you know, spreading out UAS across everybody where you just become you know, a journeyman, you're know, not really an expert in it, uh, or uh, do you focus it on a, uh, a small unit and say, hey, look, you learn everything you can about this one. And that's where we went. We went all in to try to build experts. So, you know, two platoons that just focus on Carl Gustav AT-4 and a Javelin. That's their weapon system. Another platoon that just focuses on ADA. They got the stingers up. I think they've had great success so far. They've shot down four. <laughs> Yes, you're too much, too yeah. much, much the chagrin of Geronimo this rotation. Yeah, but which is, you know, I, that was unexpected to see that type of success right away. And then, uh, you know, paired with that is a platoon, just uh, experts in UAS, uh, both offensive and uh, the ability to do surveillance. So the CTC give us the opportunity to really test that against an enemy to see if, it, if it's a good formation. So I, that, this is one of the reasons I love it. And then you put an OCT. Uh, somebody that uh, has done the job before can provide you know recommendations uh, on uh, you know how to be successful at it. Um, is you know a coach uh, and a trainer in there. Um, it's uh, it's invaluable. It's one of the best things our army's ever done. Yes, sir. And you know we were talking a little earlier today. You know my experience when I came through here um, with with my counterpart, the, the OCT. Yeah. You know. I think the other part of that is somebody that can really listen uh, to understand. I mean, I think that's the true mark of, of great OCT, and, and that's what I experienced here. And that was a yeah. ch that changed, you know, my my perception of CTCs, and it certainly changed my rotation because it actually helped me learn. Yeah. Uh, somebody that was listening to understand versus judge. There was plenty of room for judgment in my rotation, well, I, but you know, people, you know, when they, they asked me, you know, what was it like being a cog? I, you know, every day I was learning something new. I mean, you, you're seeing things, you're like, well, I, I would have loved to have tried that, you know. And, um, you would see some of the brigade commanders come out and they're like, I didn't even know I had that in my formation, you know, which is pretty interesting to see. Um, this place, uh, you know, I, I, I love Fort Johnson, you know, and everything it brings to the fight. So you, you, you talked about some of the, the things that the division is, is, is testing, is yeah. practicing here. Uh, the, the heavy weapons company, you know, this rotation we've taken two heavy weapons companies and aligned them the way that you described, yeah. and one is as really kind of legacy heavy weapons right. company, Delta Company. What, sir, what are some of the other things that the division's doing as the division now is the principal tactical yeah. formation and unit of action? I've had, uh, I've been given uh, incredible running room uh, from my boss, uh, the uh, core commander, and, uh, you know, the, and, within force comp. So we, we uh, took a hard look uh, when we came back from Poland um, of the Division 2030. And we, uh, we did an offsite with all the senior leaders in the division. And we said, what if 
we had the opportunity to test it and to provide feedback. Uh, what would the Airborne Division unit of action look like? Um, and we spent a lot of time and effort trying to, uh, on paper, uh, you know, get it about as close as we think Bright should be, and then we were allowed to test it. Uh, so and it's just a, a simple task organization. Um, we pulled out uh, the artillery battalions. We put them underneath the Devardi, fully underneath the Devardi. Uh, we pulled out the, the uh, BSBs and put them underneath the Sustainment Brigade. And that's created the opportunity uh, to start to truly test uh, what the division unit of action uh, means. And, and you know, uh, for a couple of our rotations, we've come in very, very hard as the division. You know, we brought the, the uh, mobile command post down to control the joint forcible entry. We have part of the division main uh, down to help sequence, uh, you know, the, the operation. We have the Debardi that takes part in this to help uh, the 21st whenever, uh, when, when we pull out, uh, the 82nd pulls out, the 21st takes over. The Debardi is able to synchronize fires in time and space, not only for the brigade that's in the box, but, you know, the brigades that are in the wrap uh, as well. Uh, and then our sustainment enterprise, uh, you know, gets a, a good look from the division down. Uh, and, and it's helped us to see uh, some holes. Uh, one, a big one is, uh, you know, support battalion for Devardi itself. Um, uh, but we've, we've also seen uh, a lot of growth uh, across the board, um, you know, for the division unit of action, especially in our artillery. You're getting them up to the same standard, the battalions uh, and the batteries all at the same standards. Um, and it's given us a lot of flexibility, not only uh, for these type of operations, but for the earth, uh, the ability to, to move assets around uh, very quickly to ensure the earth has uh, the most ready equipment uh, and the most ready formations that uh, could be called upon. So it's been, uh, it's been good, but this CTC has helped us to make sure that we're moving in the right direction uh, that, that the Army ultimately uh, will want us to go to. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, from, from the, the 21st Airborne Division yeah. side, I guess it's now the third best Airborne Division <laughs> in the U.S. Army. That's right. Um, you know, having the Devardi commander fight as part of the 21st Airborne Division you know, makes the, the 21st Airborne Division yeah. better because, like, we, we get true experts, you know, people at the top of their game helping us be better. Well, you, you've helped us see, um, you know, I've made changes in the uh, uh, mobile assault command post to start. We call it MACP-1, MACP-2. You know, it's mobile because of, of uh, the way we can do digital transport now. So you can... Uh, our, our DTAC is a better, another way to describe it. It's much more robust now uh, than it used to be for an airborne division, but it's incredibly small. It's four vehicles with the ability to do fires, control air, all the things you need to do uh, as a division that you could, you could get it in uh, incredibly fast. And we have the ability to be able to do two of those along with our main, but we've really focused on taking a hard look at what our command posts need to look like. Uh, and you know, we, we, we have a term, you know, uncomfortably light, uh, increasingly lethal. Uh, uncomfortably light truly means uncomfortable. Um, and you take it our mission command notes now, the goal is a battalion can get down in four minutes, break down and move. Um, and what I, what I talk uh, to battalion commanders and really company commanders and above is, what does a mission command really need? 
uh, a mission command post need. And to be real simple, you got to be able to have a common operating picture between echelons. And whether that's, you know, digital or analog, it just has to be common that you can fight off of. Uh, you got to have comms so you can talk to each other. And if you have those two, then you got to be able to employ fires. And I say fight with fires. Uh, so those three things, if you have those three things, you can do everything a mission command is supposed to do. Those are our three uh, most important for the Airborne Division because as we hit the ground, uh, we're analog, we're fighting off a of football, and our digital transition is, you know, inside the integrated tactical network. Um, uh, so that's what we're trying uh, each rotation to get better at. Yeah. Our mission command nodes um, are so much smaller than they used to be, and so, you've been able to go out and see them. No, sir, and I, I was going to say, you know, there's not a lot of people that can say that they've seen all three brigades yeah. at a CTC and all the battalions, but you and I, you know, can say that, and, and, and what I've observed in just the last year is just, you know, it just keeps getting exponentially uh, more proficient yeah. and exponentially smaller. Uh, no coffee pot. Right. Um, but, you know, last rotation and this rotation, we're seeing battalions able to meet that standard yep. of being down in four minutes, uh, transition, move, set up, and assume the fight with a combat operating picture, being able to talk and have fires. And so it sort of burst the bubble of like, well, you can't do this. Yeah. You know, with, with uh, blunt force trauma and mindless repetition, <laughs> you can, and, and they yeah. are. And, and, you know, a generation of, particularly of junior officers are seeing that yep. this isn't crazy, like we can do this. Yeah, so you know, you, you get uh, stuck in a box sometimes. Um, it, so I'll go back and, um, you know, we talked about the task order of the division. Uh, it, there, there will always be gnashing of the teeth of what, what, what formation should look, you know, what it, what's the right formation. So I was one of the gnashers of the teeth. So I'm a young major in 10th Mountain. Uh, if you go back and look, 110 Mountain was the first, uh, one of the very first brigades to become a BCT. Um, and I was, a, I was a major inside that brigade. In fact, I became the Brigade S3 uh, after the brigade fully transformed and we took it to Iraq. And uh, I, I was a naysayer uh, of, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we making this? It's going to be incredibly hard to maneuver and everything like that. But we were able to hold this huge amount of terrain in Western Baghdad. And I became a believer. Um, so uh, when you fast forward uh, and you come out of uh, the global war on terror and you look at what's changed in, in the world and we take a hard look at large-scale combat operations and you use it through the lens of what's going on in the Ukraine, big formations, especially big command posts, um, are a great way to die. Um, and I, we got a moral obligation to make sure that we can get as small as possible, be as lethal as possible for our country uh, and for our paratroopers. Um, so, you know, one of our first uh, LPDs at the division level was off-plan giant, you know, how we, how we seize terrain uh, with, you know, as an airborne division. The second one was our mission command nodes. What are they going to look like? What, what do they have to have inside of them, and how small could we possibly get them? And we experimented with that for a while. And then we just said, okay, slap the table, here's a standard across the board. That's why you're seeing them hopefully all look, you know, really, uh, really similar at the battalion and the brigade. And it wasn't just that. The division is not under this massive, you know, uh, circus tent anymore. We're, we're under, we're not much bigger than what you're seeing for the brigade 
and hopefully we can move as fast as possible out from underneath tarp and canvas and get into some type of building or underground or whatever we have to do in order to remain alive and remain agile to be able to fight uh, and, and win in any type of environment. And it's not easy. Um, it's not easy at all. Nobody ever said it was going to be easy. Uh, but this is a tough business that we're yes, in. Sir. This is supposed to be hard. I mean, we're, we're dealing with human lives here. Yes, sir. Um, so it, it should be uh, something that makes you kind of scratch your head and go, go back um, to the drawing board over and over to make sure you got it as right as possible for what you think is going to happen. And then to have the ability to be able to audible. Um, and that, that's why inside the division it's kind of fun. The audible piece is uh, one of the areas I love to see if all the ideas that are coming up from uh, individual paratroopers and working their way up through the brigades um, to, uh, you know, to test and, and, you know, get across the division. Uh, I mean, we've, we've had a couple out there. I mean, we just had one where, you know, somebody came up with an idea to how to put a ghost radio for the, uh, you know, the, the integrated tactical network to build our mesh network to build, to get a ghost radio high up in a tree inside of a case that has the ability to, for the batteries to last a lot longer than, than they Know, normally would another person made you know 3d printed a new radio uh, holder that you know would go on to the mount of the uh, of the EUD um, somebody just came up with an idea uh, how to redo how we do our shipping containers um, so we don't have to use wood every single thing it's amazing what's coming up that we can harness and we test it see if it works if it doesn't work no harm no foul if it does how fast can we get it across division? Um, sure. And that's that's what's been a lot of fun to, to play with inside the, the division. Sure, so, uh, you know, the, off the off kind of your comments, I got a, a couple things I'd like to follow up on. Mm -hmm. So the first the first one, I'll you know, with the division, you know, we we talk, you talk you described going to a BCT in, in one ten. I probably okay. was in the same main command post okay. that was massive when right. I was Warrior Five that's in right. one ten. <laughs> um, what you know. And we did that for for very um, very good reasons yeah. at the time, starting in 2004 yep. with modularity, and now for very good reasons, you know, we're we're making adjustments. You know, what are the what, how do you see the advantages of when we pull these things out? Because most of us, you know, if we've lived in BCTs, like, oh, you're taking away this, yeah. you're taking away this. What are the advantages for a BC or brigade? I think there's, do that? there's a bunch of advantages. There's some disadvantages to this. There's always, uh, you know. There's always pluses and negatives. Um, let me paint it a different picture, uh, if I could. Uh, <laughs> of course, so, sir. <laughs> yeah. Years ago, and I won't tell you how long ago, I was a, a company commander inside a brigade. There was 12 of us, 12 company commanders. You know how much time the brigade commander had to spend with 12 of us? Um, More than you probably wanted as a company well, commander at I times. Actually, I didn't see him very much. Really? I was shocked. Uh, and I didn't realize that that, that for me, um, was a seminal moment in my career. Uh, looking back on why there's there's 12, that's 24 people with the first arms that you're kind of you know charged with mentoring and developing and all that stuff. Did a CTC rotation, you know, um, w w with the team and everything. You fast forward when I was a brigade combat team commander. I mean, how many company commanders did you have? As a 39 business? company yeah, battery troop commanders. I have 42. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, so 84, you know, you had 
you know, do the math, and you're somewhere near 80 minus 2, you know, 78 that you uh, that you're focused on. How much time do you really get to spend with each of them and mentoring them over two years of command? Not enough, sir. Yeah, it's no, it's not enough at all. Um, and uh, I think that is uh, one of the areas that because we created the BCTs all on the side of angels and why we did it, that's one of the areas that we um, uh, mortgaged on that, okay, for lack of a better way. But we did the BCTs for all the right reasons. And, I, and uh, you know, I was a believer after, you know, the first couple months in Iraq. Now, um, the uh, artillery battalions, uh, you know, everybody agrees that they had atrophied over the years inside uh, the brigade combat teams. Uh, and we've gone back and forth, you know, should it go under Devardi or not. Um, that what we were most worried about in the division is like you pull these assets out and they're not going to be uh, as, as close to the brigades as possible. And I tell you that they're probably closer now um, because they're forced to be part of uh, the uh, training management process because you you got to do the coordination the, you're forcing the relationships being built but they also are have the opportunity under a senior leader that's truly focused on that war fighting function with those group um, that uh, over time will improve that uh, capability inside the division, whether it's an artillery or sustainment or engineers, which, you know, however far we go, um, that over time the brigade as a member of a division unit of action will be more lethal. That's the change. Is, is it the BCT that's the focus or is it the division? We've come out and said the division and the core is the unit of action. You have to enable those with the capabilities to be able to execute. Now, um, with, is inside the earth, is there a big change? It's not a big change. There's a habitual relationship. Um, and, and frankly, the division star major has a great way to lay, and I wish he was here uh, to be able to lay this out, but he grew up like this. He was an, he's an engineer. Um, he was in, uh, you know, the, uh, the brigades uh, meetings and understanding their training plans, gone through. Uh, all the exercises with him, and then he was also part of the engineer battalion that uh, you know had the the complete focus, and they were aligned. We're still aligned. It's not if you're the enemy, you're not going to see a big change. Yeah, right. Except, <laughs> That's probably the most. Yeah, except I hope you get your ass handed to you a lot faster, yeah. uh, because they're much more proficient in their in their skills, and w which is what we're hoping is. Uh, what I'm hoping in the end is a brigade commander gets to spend a lot more time with his maneuver commanders and in, in describing and showing and developing our young maneuver leaders uh, over over time and space. At the same time, our uh, artillery um, uh, spends, you know, more time actually focused on that. So, like, we brought back division-level darts and barts. Um, it doesn't just have to be the brigade-associated artillery battalion that's shooting for them during their fire coordination exercise. Depending on how the cycle is, we can put any battalion in there to do that based off of where they are in their proficiency. And the Devardi commander has the ability now to move things around 
in order to ensure that the maneuver brigade, that's the IRF, has the most proficient and ready force ready uh, to be used for whatever the nation has to call. Um, so there are some plus. Now, there are some, uh, you know, uh, minuses in there. You know, we are pulling them apart. Uh, we are forcing people uh, to, you know, be members of, you know, two teams for relationships. It's nothing more than what we've done before. Um, uh, so, you know, we'll keep uh, going down this road as yes, long sir. as the Army lets us. I think, uh, I think we'll see it a lot more across the Army um, in there. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think, that, you know, one of the other ones, and, and sir, you know, you, you and I had conversations about this before uh, the rotation in the spring uh, of kind of the expectations of what the 21st Airborne Division does, yeah. is, you know, part of this is solving problems in front of a brigade. That's exactly to right. To simplify the thing that we're asking a brigade to do. And, you know, having fought here as a yeah. BCT commander, and, and haven't seen this a lot at the National Training Center, you know, in the past, a lot of these problems were all the brigade's problems to solve. And now, in, in, in you know, the, your expectations that you kind of gave to us in, in, in uh, training objectives was get the brigade to solve the close fight. That's exactly right. And, and the division does the thing that the division does to allow the brigade to do what it must do. And so sometimes the way we help people is by taking things away from them. Yeah, well, the division's not here just to take reports. <laughs> right, you sir. Know? The division's here to fight. Uh, and to ensure that whatever comes to the brigade, after all the attrition that the division has to do to make and to ensure the brigade is successful, actually happens. Yes, sir. The brigade commander can't do uh, the long fight and the close fight. He's got to be able to just focus on that close fight. Like uh, you and I have talked this. I think our very first rotation uh, when we were when we were kind of uh, working this. Resupply on the drop zone cannot be the Airborne Brigade Commander's problem. That's a division problem. Yeah, sure. uh, get Which the 21st Airborne Division yeah. didn't do an amazing <laughs> job on that one, yeah. but we've gotten better. Yeah, I mean, to be able to get the CDS in yeah, sure. over multiple days, uh, to be able to get airlines in to build, build, build combat power uh, on the FLS, it can't be a Brigade Commander. It's too much uh, that, they're, that they're trying to do. Um, so, you know, the, the division has got to be able to solve uh, the complex problems uh, far out. And it's got to have the intel assets to be able to do that. It's got to have the strike assets to be able to do that. It's got to have the lift assets there, uh, um, the, the cab assets that are, that are part of that. And we're, we're, we're trying to understand that, too. We're, we're learning these, you know, I call them new lessons, but they're really not. We're just learning how to fight as a division unit of action again. Yes, we got to do that as fast as possible. It's, it's what's going to be required in large-scale combat operations. Yes, sir. Um, so the other one, and, and, I, and uh, you know, uncomfortably light. Like, yeah. wh for you, what is that? You know, we talked about the organization of the division and yeah. some of that and the, and the mission command post. But what's that mean to a paratrooper? Yeah, I, so, um, well, you, you know, you served in the 82nd. So I'm going to describe what we shouldn't do. Okay, so we shouldn't um, uh, tell a paratrooper, this is what, you know, the drop zone you're gonna go to and here's your mission. Figure out what you need to pack. You come up with a generic packing list and they just start packing. Well, if you don't trust your resupply, you're gonna pack a lot, right? Um, and 
uh, if somebody starts, you know, handing you a bunch of extra equipment to carry, you're going to throw that in too. Um, and sooner or later, your ruck is going to be maxed out completely. And then we're going to hang it on you, and you're going to walk out to an aircraft. I did that as a battalion commander. And uh, I remember one day, it was a uh, brigade uh, jump. I'm walking out. I packed everything that was on the packing list I was told I needed to bring. And we're walking out the aircraft, and of course it's 350 degrees outside at, at uh, you know, Fort Liberty. The humidity is at 100%. It's just not raining yet. Uh, and I can see the aircraft. Now, I'm also walking out, and the whole battalion is basically walking out at the same time. You, you look left and look, look right. And we have, and it was a good large package. We, we had a bunch of aircraft. Uh, and as we're walking out, Paratroopers start uh, to, you know, um, take a knee here and there, uh, regain their composure and go up. And we get all the way. We just happen to walk to the wrong aircraft. Now, that's Jumpmaster's fault at the time, uh, but our aircraft was actually way away. And we had to make a right turn and start walking. I remember thinking, why are we doing this? Why are we possibly doing this to a paratrooper that's about to be thrown in at the middle of the night? in some drop zone that they don't know about, and they're gonna have to fight for their lives for whatever mission we gave them. And by the time we got down to that aircraft, I lost a bunch of people out of my battalion that were not gonna go on it. And I, and I thought to myself, this is dumb. And I'm sure we've done it like this for all the time, but it's dumb. We shouldn't do it. Um, so uh, that has always stuck with me. Um, and uh, other people have come here it have jumped really light and been successful. Um, so uh, whenever I first came in, you have done a, a really only two GO uh, policy letters. GO1 was you know, about us in the 82nd. GO2 is everything about the Joint Forcible Entry Airborne. And in there, it's nobody will jump more than 60 pounds. That is a hard, hard thing to do. But it forces us to go through what a packing list truly is. It forces us to cross level. It forces us to understand where key leaders are uh, throughout uh, the drop, so you can actually have you know the right person at the right spot on the drop zone, uh, and it makes us think through this. It also makes us rely on our resupply. What are we actually putting in our CDS? What are we putting in our door bundles that are coming out? Is 60 pounds right? I don't know. Uh, it seems to be about right um, as we're doing this. Uh, what it's enabled us to do is to hit the drop zone and move as fast as possible. But you have to have trust in your resupply, and that has got to be a division fight. Um, so we're, we're pushing that. Un uncomfortably light means some other things, too, like we're going to have to walk a lot. All these vehicles we have um, can be a detriment um, inside our formation. and we've. When we looked at the task organization, we, we didn't just stop. We rewrote what we thought our MTO should be, and uh, we've, we've passed that up. Um, you know, we probably should have a minimum amount of vehicles. Uh, you know, I would like it to be a single chassis vehicle with multiple variants so we can, we can take parts or whatever we need, but we only have uh, one type of vehicle that our mechanics are working on instead of multiple uh, vehicles so we can get a, you know, really proficient in um, 
you know, some singular pieces of equipment. Um, but it causes us to also relook of what goes on there. I think, you know, you've seen me, uh, you know, push. Um, we need to have a standardized load plan for all these vehicles. So in the middle of the night, a vehicle's on a drop zone, a paratrooper can go up and reach in on one side of the compartment and know what's there. That's the goal, that everything that drops has some type of standard across there for the division. And uh, we're, we're pushing it, so we are, yes, we are uncomfortably light. Um, yeah, I think we could probably get a little bit lighter. Uh, you know, I'm hoping we get some advances in our battery, um, you know, situation. I hope we take a, a hard look at, you know, what we truly have to have for command and control at each of these levels to, to free up our paratroopers for some of the things that they're having to carry uh, across the board. Well, you know, with, you know, as you're, as you're describing the load, I mean, this gets to risk. It is. And it's commander's business. <laughs> you're right. And, you know, we've punted a lot of that at times um, to onto that risk just onto our, our yeah. paratroopers, our soldiers. And I don't think there's a problem unique to, to the airborne units. It's, it's, it's more, maybe more acute in airborne units. Um, but, you know, we see this kind of challenge. And then you know, the second part, you know, clearly the vision from a big sustainment, but this works its way all the way down even to company trains. And the staff work and the analysis that goes in to inform commanders to, to really assess the risk to have sustainment that that has a chance to actually work yeah. to unburden, you know, our soldiers and and you know what you described is, you know, the, hey, here's the standard, you know, here's the the packing list that we always use. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I have both deployed where we're taking, you know, we're going to the middle of the desert, but we're taking every bit of cold weather gear on our on our OCIE before, sir. And well, you you remember, you know, you're a lot younger than me, but you remember the packing list that you got in Ranger School. I remember laughing like that is not fitting in there, uh, and I remember thinking as it was on my back going up, you know, the the mountains that I really wish it was a hell of a lot lighter. Yes, know? sir. We, we 100 pounds of lightweight gear, exactly. still 100 exactly. pounds of gear. We shouldn't we shouldn't put that under a paratrooper. Uh, we, so, you know, there's a there's two ways to look at the airborne division. You're a you're a a, a BCT that happens to jump, or you're an airborne division. And when you say you're an airborne division, things are a little bit different. I mean, you're inherently, you jump, you secure something, and you go into the defense, and you're surrounded on a terrible, terrible day. What exactly do you need to have to accomplish that mission? That makes us look at our, our secondary loads. Got to be class four heavy. Um, so it, it, looking through everything through a lens of, uh, you know, that paratrooper right now that's out in, you know, Charlie Company and Red Falcons right now, who's manning a 240 Bravo, I, I hope he's got all the water he needs right now. I hope he has all the ammunition he's going to need for the fight that's going to happen tonight. I hope he understands, you know, uh, who's on his left, who's on his right. He's got, you know, a great engagement area planned, uh, built for him, and there's a Kazavak plan in case he gets hurt, uh, and we can sustain that over time to ensure our paratrooper success. That's what this is all about. And that's what the CTC helps us do to understand. And, um, you know, I think the great thing about what the division's trying to do here is we, we have the opportunity, even in one rotation, to get it wrong, to identify yeah. it's wrong, 
to make improvements, to get it better, but not right, to get it wrong like a little bit. To, and at the end, and, and you know, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, sir, but I mean, you had an engagement with a young PFC. They did the culminating training event. And if you don't mind, I mean, what, you know, what was his experience? Because it didn't sound like everything went awesome at the CTE. Yeah. His uh, comment to me was, uh, it was the best. Because uh, he said, hey, Probably being paid by the, the sustainers, right. to tell you this. He did. He said, hey, sir, you, you want some feedback? And I thought, okay, I'm going to brace for impact. Uh, I was like, yeah. He's like, hey, we learned a lot for the CTE. And I actually thought he was talking about the gun team that, you know, he was with. And I was like, yeah, what would you learn? You know, and what have you improved on? Uh, and he was like, no, I'm talking about the brigade. He goes, well, you know, we've learned a lot from the CTE till now. And the CTE is, you know, our culminating training event back at, at Liberty. And, and frankly, the CTE isn't to get you ready for JRTC. The CTZ is a training event. JRTC is a training event and to get you ready for the ERF. Um, so um, I was, I was, you know, pretty interested in what he was going to say because, you know, he's a PFC, but um, he's an integral part of the team, and he's going to see something that, you know, is, is going to solve some complex problem that um, I was pretty excited to hear this. But he, he said. Uh, they haven't gone for want of anything. No, haven't, they haven't wanted water, they haven't wanted, you know, need food. They've got all the parts they need. They've got all the ammunition. So their supply is actually working. It's like we learned a lot because now i got to go back and see how bad their supply was during the CTE, you know. But they obviously learned about distribution, which is always a problem on the drop zone. Is, uh, you know, you have these massive bundles out there. How do you get that bundle of stuff to an individual, you know, 240 team out there that's at the edge of, you know, the empire. How do you get them everything that you need? And I'm glad that they figured it out, you that's know, right. at least in that company. But as I went around, it was, a, a, you know, across the board, there was, there was some pretty good positive feelings. Now, there's, there's some problems out there, too, that we've got to work through. You know, we're working through class four. It'll be a good lesson learned. I used to say, and uh, you know, this is kind of harsh, but you know, when I was a, a battalion commander, um, and I, you know, I learned a lot of lessons as a battalion commander uh, and brigade commander and, and the division commander. I used to say back then, it, you know, uh, realizing you suck is the first step on the road to awesomeness. You know, so you gotta, you gotta know that you got a problem someplace, and then you just, you know, uh, iterate, 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 and fix it. Um, so that's why, you know, I love this place. We're doing it right now. You know, uh, in the rotation, we, we figured out that we got a problem set. We got a time to fix it. You know, so we're going to go back and, and uh, do some things to get to get the the brigade um, on the right footing for you know class four. Well, well, you know, one of the things too, I think, with a you know an 82nd, seen this with yeah. 10th Mountain. Um, you know. Units, rotational unit, and it's not just the brigade, it's the other units that come yeah. with uh, clearly passing on what they're learning yeah. to other units. And I think, uh, I think that ha always happened to some degree, personality-based, but you know, I think with the, the refocus at the division level, though the division is understanding yeah. what the rotational unit learned here, and, and we're really sharing more across the division um, you know, more than I saw, frankly, in my time at the National Training Center, yeah. and part of it's op tempo. But I do think the divisional focus is helping us 
learn faster from each other. You know, no, be, be, best lesson is the one you learn from the other guy. Yeah. Now we so you know we've been doing um, you know pretty detailed ARs from our our rotations, and then we we pulled the old team uh, that just went through a rotation with the team that's going to go through the rotation up front with the the leaders to try to to break through. We we, we have to. Um, uh, we don't have time not to learn uh, from it. So in the in the division, we're trying to figure out a way to quickly uh, get lessons learned to be truly learned. Okay, and that's hard. I mean, a, you know, lesson learned is nothing unless you do something about it. Um, so whether it's uh, on, you know, we have a, we got a great team at division, our our Ganey team. Uh, that that takes a look at um, the expertise in the integrated tactical network, expertise in UAS and robotics, um, expertise in um, special uh, you know items for the division, and we link it with our Airborne Innovation Lab to try to build this uh, you know, really group of um, paratroopers that are testing ideas but taking the lessons from the rotation and then propagating across the vision. And, it, and it's manned fully by a really small cadre. And we fill it mainly with the unit that's on Earth 3. So though we have paratroopers that fill this, uh, you know, organization. And then when they come out of Earth 3 and they go into Earth 2, they take those lessons learned, even though they were the trainers for the division for six to eight months based off of where they were in the Earth, that they now take that back and can really truly be the experts inside the brigade as well. So we're trying to to internalize how to do this because we've seen this, you know, uh, tried a bunch of different ways, yes, sir. and we are seeing some success um, in there. I think the division level LTP or uh, LPD series, um, uh, when you're a division unit of action, is critically important, um, and it's not just episodic. Uh, when when you have uh, you know different BCTs back from whatever, yeah, I mean, we we truly think we're going to fight together, so we 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 need to figure out you know how how best to be able to do that. You know I I've seen with the the command posts with the the uh, you know mixing of small UAS with SIGINT EW yeah. and, and down um, ITN in particular you know those three areas in particular from, from my time in a year. To my now my third 82nd road. I mean that grow. You know it's clearly one building off the other, um, and I mean that is the, you know that now you know we get to a point where okay now we're moving on to, to talk about different things. Yeah. Uh, you know higher le you know graduate level. I think that EW is probably, um, I mean that's a game changer across the board. That <laughs> that capability, I think that's what we missed in our Delta company. I think uh, and and I know some. Some units have put it in there, so we're gonna maybe go back to the drawing board and probably add that capability. And I think 310 Mountain, I think, had really good success with that. We had really good success with 382's rotation uh, in their cap squadron. Yes, I think in uh, uh, Dave Cochran and his team and what they came up with with uh, Lincoln uh, EW uh, UAS and and uh, the ability to call you know for firing on this. So. I think we're going to take some of those and probably plug it into that formation and try it again, you know, with the next rotation. We've got to keep on learning. Right. We, if we stay stagnant, um, then we've done 
a disservice to the paratroopers that, that we're leading. Yes, sir. Um, sir, so, you know, to, we talked about mission command nodes. Could, could you talk a little bit, because we had a great conversation, um, you know, the other day uh, about this. And, and if, you, if you'd talk a little bit about, you know, mission command as a philosophy, but also the systems that allow C2 uh, to enable it. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to think of what conversation we had. You know, we'll, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so uh, here's the, the first part is um, commanders, you just said this a little while ago, commanders got to talk risk, right? Because um, if you're not talking risk, I, you know, I'm not sure what you're actually talking about, you know. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you an example. We have to change. And we've tried that. We've massaged the Gavin reports. You know, how many people do you have? You know, what do you have assembled as a men force? What does that actually mean? So um, I had a conversation with multiple battalion nodes, not necessarily battalion commander, maybe the three or the XO, whoever's in, in the mission command node at the time that I was, you know, out and about. And some would describe, because this goes into the, the broader point about mission command, some would dis uh, describe, like, Sure, I'd say, you know, get, just give me your disposition. Well, I got a rifle company over here and a rifle company. Okay, what do you, what do you have in that rifle company? Well, sure, I got 80% assembled. That's, you know, 70, you know, paratroopers. Okay, that's great. What can you do? How many guns do you have? How many mortars do you have? How many rounds do you have? Do you, how many, uh, you know, missions, how many suppressive missions do you have? How many, uh, you know, all the things to, to describe what you are capable of executing so your commander that you're talking to can understand the risk that's in front of you from the mission that they gave you. Um, and so you got to be able to understand that piece in order to get the mission command piece right. So, uh, and, it's, and it's an interesting conversation. I actually, uh, this hit me really hard when I was a COG. Uh, walking around and talking to company commanders and, um, you know, sometimes field grades about mission command, what's it mean to you and stuff like that. You know, and, and some people would say, I, I don't know why, you know, they just don't tell me, you know, here's your, here's your objective, just go. I'm like, well, do you want any help? You know, <laughs> so um, there's a two different ways to look at it uh, is, um, you know, free me up as much as possible so I have discipline and issue. I can, I can go out and do everything you told me, boss. Well, how? How do you do that in large-scale combat operations? I mean, you're not just going out on a patrol. We're going to be out there for a couple hours. You're going to have every single asset that you had known to, you know, the United States military flying over you, and then you're going to come back. And if you get in trouble, I'm going to bring everything to bear to help you. You'll be able to do it yourself because you're going to be able to call everything. Um, that's one way, okay? But that's not the fight that we're going to be in. So in order to enable mission command uh, for a maneuver force, you've got to have a lot of control measures uh, inside your common operating picture. So um, and I'll just describe movement to contact. There better be a bunch of phase lines in there. There better be maybe a limited advance in there someplace. There better be some stuff after that limited advance in case you uh, 
uh, you know, or have the ability to take it, uh, advantage of, you know, a weakness that, that might happen within the enemy, you got to have some maybe fire support, uh, you know, graphics in there. There's a lot of things that uh, should take place in the planning to enable mission command because you should be able to audible as quickly as possible off of a control measure and get all the support that your higher headquarters can bring for you. If not, and you've heard me say this before, if not, we're all just camping out here together. How, how does the division commander uh, and, and the brigade commander get all the combined arms effects on the battlefield in order to enable you to succeed in your mission? All American 7 has a great way to describe this. Uh, and we're blessed, you know, we, I feel bad for Falcon 6 in the box right now. He's got me as an old cog, he's got All America 7 as an old cog, the post commander is an old cog, and we got a cog right here. He's, he's getting a lot of coaching. But uh, the way All American 7 talks about it is like, before you LD, you should ask, hire, have you set the conditions for me? You're not just going down an axis of advance and we hope you make contact with the enemy where we thought you were, and good luck. It's, have you set the conditions in time and space for me to be successful in the mission you gave me? And if I hit baseline grant and I haven't made contact with the enemy yet and that's what we thought, I can audible off of that because I know uh, from the control measures you have that you can continue to, to provide the support in front of me. Or if if it's the enemy's a lot stronger than we thought, maybe I hold at a certain spot for you to degrade it for me. But that that actually the control measures actually give you the ability to do discipline initiative, which is what mission command is all about. Uh, is is to be able to to provide everything in order to let that subordinate commander be able to be as successful as possible with the order that you've asked them to do, if that makes sense. Yes, sir. I mean, I, I think, you know, as you were describing it and I'm visualizing it, it's the division commander being able to kill everything in front of the brigade right. without ever having to clear ground and air because we have the graphic control measures that allow that permissiveness. That's right. And so, you know, my, my you know, look, got, hope we that never happens we don't you know hope we don't have to fight a, a war uh you know period yeah. let alone large-scale combat operations but you know my vision of that is if that day ever comes you know i want a pfc on cnn saying well this is the most boring you know war ever i never found the enemy because the division commander killed everything you know in front and we're only going to get that permissiveness by having the control measures i think the other part of that sir as you describe it and we we saw some of this the other night is those graphic control measures become the ultimate E in the pace plan. Exactly. <laughs> when we lose comms, yeah. when the enemy jams us, um, we're able to operate within it. And, you know, worst case, two company commanders link up on the ground and they have a common frame of reference to talk off of those graphic control yeah. measures. Um, and so I'm with you, sir. I mean, I think those, the, the detail in the planning and then if we're really, you know, we have the time, we're able to do these things, you know, to standard and the way we want to, the rehearsal, all, once we step off, if we lose comms, it's okay because we've got leaders that know the plan yeah. and know everybody else's part in the plan and can execute and can audible, 
hey, I'm holding that phase on red, enemy's actually south of tier P33, adjust your support yeah. by fire, and now they're actually able to synchronize yeah, spot on. off that audible. Yeah. There's, a, there's a piece in there, I, you know, when, when I was young Lieutenant Leneve years ago, um, and you know, going on a, a long patrol, there was a sinew that we had back there. Um, so every couple hundred meters, I'd call back through the command channel and, and say where I was uh, on the map. My FO was doing that as well through the, the fires channel. So there was a check and a double check of where we were at all given time. And that was going back through company command node up to battalion and somebody was plotting that on a on a uh, analog map somewhere so if I made contact with the enemy you know as we're laying down you know uh, direct fire um, the artillery uh, war fighting function was providing fires in front of me and walking it towards me because we knew where we were uh, we've we've lost that sinew we were always looking for a digital solution uh, out there. And, and uh, you know, we could do it in uh, the GWAP because, it, you know, it was very precise, you know, where we were going to go out to and back. Uh, I think the integrated tactical network gets us about as close as a digital solution that we, you know, have come up with so far. It's the best one that I've seen, you know, after, you know, rotation, rotation. But that still having the understanding of where we are on the battlefield at scale through our systems and our control measures help us do that. And the more control we actually have, actually it frees us up uh, to be able to, to do multiple things, but at a minimum helps us to put, uh, you know, combined arms uh, effects truly where we want them at the speed at which we want them and at the scale that we want them. Yes, sir. Um, sir, so, um, you know, the, the kind of the other part of this I, I would ask is, you know, I want to come back to the, the standardization again. And because yeah. and, I think it ties to the mission command. I mean, I think um, I'm, you know, I'm not as old as you, but I'm probably yeah. considered by most watching this as old. Uh, and, you know, uh, get off my grass is sort of how <laughs> some might see this. Yeah. But, um, you know, what, what, what are some of the advantages of having standardization of, of how we establish our command posts, of the load plans? And you know, it's, not to, it's not control for control's sake. Yeah. Um, you know, what are your kind of thoughts of the advantages? You know, if you're a company commander, you know, why, why does it make sense to prescribe um, you know, uh, things like status cards or range cards, you know, disseminated? Yeah, well, one, standardization helps us uh, to get really, really good on those things we said, here's the standard. So let's talk to range card. Here's the standard how to do it. Don't experiment anymore. Just do it like this. Uh, so if you're a leader and we have standardized uh, cards or whatever you want, it's very easy to quickly check across the board to make sure that we're all uh, meeting that standard. And that standard should be pretty damn good in order to kill the enemy. When I talk standardization, I, I'm not talking where you where your canteen, I, wherever. I, you know, I'm not talking about you know can you uh, you know 
buy your own knife or you know buy your own uh, uh, magazine holder. That's not what I'm talking about. Standardization for me is uh, to be able to uh, take uh, an idea and we all kind of look at each other and say, is this it? That's it. That's it. That's the 80 second way. Don't experiment on that anymore. We don't need to. That's, that's what we're going to say it's going to be. Move on to the next problem. And now everybody knows what the standard is. So if I get quickly moved from Charlie Company, uh, White Falcons, and I'm now in fury because I've been, you know, associated with them. I got the same products. It gives resiliency to that the formation. I'm fighting with. Yes, sir. That Fury Six, when he comes down and look at this new rifle company that showed up, it's basically the same standards that he's he's fighting his other companies with. There's there's not something new. Look, we have a we have a company team right now from 3ID here, right? They're a little different than us. Um, they're armor. <laughs> uh, we got to learn how to fight it with them, okay? And we got to learn uh, what they need to be, uh, you know, supportive. Here's a, I listened to two company commanders today, the, uh, the armor uh, company commander and a rifle company commander out of uh, White Falcons. Um, they are going to potentially receive them as, as a reserve force, they could come down and, and uh, reinforce them. And uh, here's the conversation, like, hey, what do you need from us? You need fuel? No, I got all the fuel I need. Do you need ammunition? You know what? And the armor uh, company parents like, hey, we, we need water. It's like, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean a water buffalo or water cans? I mean, they're having this great conversation. That's because it's a different unit. At scale across the division, we shouldn't have to have those discussions with each other. We should be able to, you got me? God, here's, we know how to operate together. Um, common operating picture, what does that mean? It should be standardized. I've directed it. When you hit the ground, it's a football. What's the football look like? It can be a little bit different, but the basics, map in the middle and some of the, the charts and everything, they're the same. Matter of fact, they're so similar because we bought them all. For all of our battalions. I think that's the other one. It's the ability to actually resource this stuff. So. Yeah. So, um, you know, what does the, the standard look like for assembling on a drop zone? What, what's that standard? Uh, I want a paratrooper, like I said earlier, to uh, get, be able to go to a vehicle on a drop zone, to go to, you know, um, a different unit, and the basics are all standard. So we're not trying to figure out that. I don't, I don't want a battalion commander to waste energy trying to figure out the uh, feng shui of a mission command node. I, don't, I just don't, that's too, it's, it's, we've experimented for years. Can, can I give you a perspective on that, sir? And, yeah. and this is what I think we've seen yeah. here um, is, you know, when, when we've got um, nine infantry battalions, all doing it the same way, and they do it the same way for three years. Um, you know, nine times, you know, six rotations. Um, you know, that ends up giving us a sample size for the division to come back and say, okay, we've seen this um, this many repetitions. Here's the one thing we actually need to change. That's exactly because right. there's there's enough of a sample size to discern what's not 
optimized. Yeah, standardization doesn't mean uh, static. You're, you're, well, this is it, never going to change. If there's something better and it drastically changes us, it makes it more efficient, it makes it more lethal, makes it lighter, <laughs> then I'm all in. I just don't want to have, you know, nine battalion commanders all trying to figure out the same way to do the same thing when I can say, okay, I accept the risk, this is how we're doing it. Yes, sir. You know, the, the other one is, uh, you know, I think it's getting to inspections, that inspections are, so we can actually train and yeah. certify our leaders That's to right. inspect, because I mean, ultimately, you know, and the th one of the things I love about being in an airborne unit is um, seeing a young paratrooper being JMPI'd by one of their leaders, you know. Yeah. It, it, Inevitably, you know, that's, that's, there's anxiety there, as there should be. Um, but seeing a first sergeant saying, hey, I just got done inspecting you, you're good. Yeah. Um, and that's I what I love, sir. I do, too. I, so, but but yeah. I think that's true with pre-combat yeah. inspections. I mean, I think we talk about building trust. Um, that's part of how we build trust is by inspecting people and say, hey, I'm going to make sure that you're getting, you're getting ready to go do this very dangerous thing, and I'm going to make sure that all your equipment and that you are good to yeah. do the thing that we're asking you to do. That's exactly right. Yeah. I, you know, when, when people ask, you know, what do you, what do you love most about serving in the 82nd? It's like everything. Um, but one of the things that just sets us apart uh, than uh, any other organization, and it's always set us apart, um, you know, since we, we started playing patty cake with the earth, is when I show up at Green Ramp, I quickly become a rifleman. It's the most democratic thing in the world, sir, is the top zone. I absolutely love it. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you, you show up, and uh, there's a young jump master uh, that is, you're, you're following everything they're telling you to do. Um, and for me, it's pretty reassuring. Um, I tell people, you know, when I stand in the door, uh, uh, you know, I'm not really thinking about, you know, a lot other than every bad decision I ever made to get me to stand in the door at my age, you know, between red light and green light. But it is, um, it is, uh, you know, something that's unique about this uh, division. And you, you don't have to be on Alpha Echelon to be part of it. You know, Alpha Echelon is, you know, the, that group that jumps in. But Bravo and Charlie Echelon are just as important. And they're all paratroopers, it doesn't matter. Um, whether you know you're bringing in a rope you uh, or you're bringing in a 240 um, you know on alpha echelon uh, that rope you coming in or you know whatever is going to produce water for us or whatever it is you know you, you name the piece of equipment sure it's, it's, the, it's, 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 it's the important old, you know yeah. president kennedy visited nasa and, and sees the janitor and, well what do you do here sir I'm, help put a man on the moon. That's right. I mean, that's, that's, right. that's uh, you know, Every, that's very true. And everybody's important, especially uh, you think through what we have to get on the drop zone and quickly assemble. If standardization makes sense. You know, it absolutely makes sense for what you have to do. Um, as, as much that you can take out of the problem uh, of, uh, you know, inside people's minds and what they have to worry about. Can you imagine if JMPI wasn't standardized? Yeah, you look good. It looks good. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, it ain't gonna happen. You know, I'm, I ain't jumping this. You know, so, um, and there'll be some that say, you know, you're, you, you stifle individual thought and everything. I'm not trying to do that at all. 
I'm actually trying to free people up to think about like problems and, and you know the easier stuff. Just let's just agree on it and move on uh, sure. from it. Um, yeah, critically important. I was thinking of uh, something just popped into my head because I actually think this is uh, one of those areas that is a that. My time as a division commander actually has changed for me in thought process, and, and I, I think you and I have had this conversation before. But and I was just thinking about uh, as I'm standing in the door between red light and green light, um, and it's this idea of command and control. Have we talked about this? I, so I don't know if I've talked to you about this. Command and control. So. You know, for years, I'd think about command and control, like where you put yourself on the battlefield and what, what have you have done to be able to ensure that your subordinates can actually execute the task, you know, and do, are you at the right place at the right time in order to, to affect uh, uh, the formation, you know, in a positive way. So um, with, with all the technological changes, uh, I start to think about mission command uh, and command and control very differently. Um, so we just went through mission command. Uh, so command and control. Um, and again, All-American 7 actually, you know, says this one pretty good. But uh, w when I'm in the door and I'm thinking about life choices, I'm still in command of the division. But really, I'm not in control at that point. I actually, All-American 7 is because he's, you know, part of the JTF and he's helping do um, uh, you know, pre-salt fires, all the things that has to happen before a, a division jumps in. But number one jumper, um, you know, star majors on the other door, number two jumper. Uh, so pushing a door bundle. That's right. Sure. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so you know, not necessarily in control at that point in time. You know, the in route mission commands down. You know, red lights on. You're you're saying your last prayers and you know all that good stuff. So. And really, you don't really gain control again until you get some piece of equipment up and operational on the drop zone. And you can control, you know, what you can uh, from there until you know more are assembled and you get more systems up and running. Um, but uh, it, as as you think through all the changes in digital transport, then you start thinking, well, what actually has to come in, and how far can reach back be? And there always are going to be people that, uh, you know, are you really going to have reach back capability? What about, you know, all the effects the enemy can do? But let's just uh, say, do you really need to have everything on the drop zone in order to command and control that operation? Or can you have some reach back? And that's one of the areas I think it's going to truly change um, the division unit of action, core unit of action of what they can do reach back for and what they actually can bring into the fight, and what that reach back can enable this force that's you know uh, knee deep in the operation uh, uh, as um, force multipliers for this. And it's something that I've really you know thought a lot about. Um, what, what what can the brigade bring into the fight? You know we're pushing, we're making the brigade to make some decisions now. Like, you know. Uh, military intelligence, what do you bring in? Signal assets, what do you have to bring in? Uh, logistics, what do you have to bring in? I, I mean, or at minimum, close fight. we're already seeing the dispersion we are. of... Yeah. of um, we don't see the BSA. Remember the BSA? Right. You know, it's a massive Big thing. scud target. Yeah, you'd be like, wow, that's great. I'm yes, staying as far away from that as possible. Yes, you know, right now, the way... Um, uh, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Felix is doing it, the BSB commander, 
Um, lessons learned from the last two rotations inside the sustainment brigade of a here's some best practices. She's operating a couple of really small fleas that are that are dispersed out there, and it seems to be working. Yes, uh, you know, right now we'll continue to experiment with it, um, but uh, we're, we have to wrap our arms around that. Of uh, you know, what what do you have to have uh, in, and what do you have to have out? And do you have the proper digital transport for that to be successful? And that's one of the things I actually spent a lot of time thinking about, um, uh, especially as you know we're we're going through our plans. Um, but something that you know we think about early on in our orders process. You know we get you know the potential to deploy order, and you're working through what that task organization looks like to be able to meet whatever the nation's asked of us to do. One of the areas now that we have to think about is what goes in, what comes out, and what's the reach back for it. Yes, sir. And you know, I think one of the things you know certainly that I've I've observed here and watching people try different things is um, you know a lot of this seems really hard, but it's just because we've never done it. That's exactly right. And then once we do it, yeah. you know, the base the the base cluster, the 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 separate fleas. Um, you know, I've I've now watched probably six brigades do it, and because people are sharing what they're learning, we're 100% better than we were a year ago. We're not where we want to be yet, exactly. but um, you know, the ability to do some of this more distributed, whether that's distributed by several kilometers, whether that's distributed by an ocean, yeah. um, or separated by an ocean. Some of it is just going to be practice of how we communicate, not necessarily the the, the transport, uh, but but how we communicate, how we how we structure our time, how we structure engagement, um, and I think we're going to find like, okay, well that's actually not that complicated. We just got to like think through it, standardize some things, and practice at doing it. Um, you know, already, you know, I've seen in my time here. How how much better we are at dispersing capabilities to be more survivable, more resilient, kind of in the fights. Or, I love seeing. Uh, so this rotation is built on the last, built on the last, the guns, the sure. guns right now of how they've dispersed and how they've uh, really you know, hid themselves uh, much better than I've seen. You know, yes, uh, you know, rotations before and. So it, it's been good to see. You know, and I get it. You know, I mean, you you did when you were the cock here. I get to see the other side of this. I mean, I think the other fun part for me is watching Geronimo learn yeah. and and change their. You know, because iron's going to sharpen iron learn too fast. Too fast, <laughs> <laughs> right, sir? And wait till wait till one hundred first or tenth mountain comes, yeah. right, sir? I got you. Yeah. Um, hey, sir, I, I want to change gears on you a little bit, and I want to ask you, you know, kind of cog question. So. Um, you know, <laughs> it's been a long time. No, I, so you know, yeah. w w um, you know, I guess what I would ask, I and mean, you've gotten to see this place from a lot of different perspectives, um, and just as war fighting, you know, what, are, you know, what, what's something that has kind of been one of those enduring lessons that, like, it was true when I was here as a company commander, it was true yeah. when I was here as a as a major, you know, and kind of on, and then what's something maybe that's that you've evolved in your thinking? We talked a little bit about C two, how that's evolved. Yeah, so uh, the age-old uh, priority of work actually is true. Okay, so um, that, that's that's first one, sergeant was right. It's one area. I mean, if you have a good priority work plan and it's briefed out and everybody understands it, you can get rest. 
uh, and you can get everything done. Um, the second one that, uh, and some people will argue this until they die, uh, is the military decision-making process. No matter how flawed we will argue that it is, actually works. Um, and it can be your battle rhythm uh, over time uh, as you're working multiple problem sets. And, and, and people will argue, uh, you know, it's outdated, it doesn't work, design should be brought in and all this stuff. But if you just understand the process and really knuckle down to understand it and keep people accountable, like the, the XO doing their job, like making sure that we're, we're uh, doing the, the uh, holding people to, to the time and standard, it actually works and helps free up time for you to think. Sir, so I'm, you know, we got a lot of majors that listen here and captains. Give them some hope. Like how many how many repetitions, you know, in a brigade or a battalion do you yeah. think it takes to to where it's like you, you kind of you know what sports analogy would be flow, where you yeah. achieve a degree of flow. You can't be an expert, but so you can't go to rapid decision making if you don't know the steps in military decision making. So. We gnash our teeth at things that we're just uncomfortable with. Just do it a couple of times. If you, if you do it a couple of times as a team, and you work through a couple of problem sets, it will become natural. It'll, it'll become second nature. Um, I'll give you an example. You, uh, what should every staff officer be doing constantly? Updating the wrong estimates, sir. It's not that hard. No. And that way, you have all the tools ready for mission analysis. It's done. Um, and actually, it's like your professional responsibility and a moral obligation to the paratroopers out there that are counting on you to get it right to continue to update this. You're updating your understanding of the battlefield from your warfighting function. Um, so uh, if, if, you do, if you do your running estimate and you come with the ability to talk through facts, assumptions, implied, you know, tasks, all that, all that, uh, you know, good stuff in a running estimate. It actually makes the process pretty easy. Now, commanders have a huge responsibility in here. You're tired. Well, how about just have a written commander's guidance to the staff done by warfighting function that you can just fill in? It's not like you're you're any less of a commander if you have a tool. I think you're smarter. You know, because you you know you probably have one on there. I got I got you cheat just, cards that I, I had. The I whole know the time. problem is you never use it. You just, <laughs> right? you just, just wing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know all those uh, the uh, the area that um, over time that you know I've, I've changed. I so it's it's the way I view um, command and control um, is one. It's just different at, at different echelons. Um, I, the uh, the um, ability to see too with our new systems are so much better than we had 10 years ago when the systems that we had not didn't necessarily work uh, and definitely didn't work in the rain you know yes, uh, and or without fiber that's right um, and the less FSRs we have inside our talks to be able to help us do these things um, the better uh, because they're not necessarily going to be with us downrange, and, and so, I mean that that has almost gone completely away um, with with our systems. I, I think, um, you know, uh, technology 
has helped us in some areas, but the age old of this is a hard, hard business. I mean, it, this is this is a tough, tough business. I said it in the beginning. Um, at the at the end of the day, when you stop, you're going to have to dig. If you're there for a long time, you got to dig deep. Uh, you know, you got to get out. You got to walk your engagement area. You got to know what's in front of you. Sector stakes have got to be in place. Uh, you got to know who you're tied in with on the left and the right. Uh, you're going to have to walk far. And the only way to get comfortable walking far is to walk far, you know, with uh, weight on your back. Our, um, you know, the, the paratrooper uh, is still going to have to be rock solid. Uh, and they have to be proficient at the basic task uh, that they're going to be asked to do. And nothing we do with technology, nothing we do with advancements and whatever command and control uh, thing we have is going to change the fact that at the end of the day, there's a human, and it's a paratrooper, that's going to have to carry out these tasks. And these are not easy tasks. That's why. Where I, I think you know every day I have the best job in where I get to serve with heroes, um, and yeah, it's awesome. Yes, sir. I um, you know, I think you know some of what you were saying. It's hard. I I, I think at times we, we condescend this generation. Like they're they're capable of doing this stuff. Yeah. We we just not have to not be afraid to ask them, tell them yeah. to do these things because they're capable of doing it. They're going to wow us every single time. Um, sir, Sue, so, uh, you know, kind of closing out, um, you've served multiple times in the 82nd Airborne Division. If you just close out and tell us, you know, kind of what's been your, your, you know, serving with heroes, but give, give us a vignette of like, what's, what's one of your favorite moments having served in the 82nd Airborne There's Division? There's too many of them. There's, uh, um, yeah, I, you know, from, uh, getting an opportunity to talk to, uh, you know, young paratroopers, uh, at PT to watching a brigade uh, fling themselves out and fight uh, and give everything they have to um, learning, you know, the insides and out of, you know, the, the cab, which is not what I'm, you know, I'm not an aviator, uh, but uh, I got the best cab in the world um, to, you know, uh, having the best supporters and the best artillery, I mean, uh, I can't, I, there's no way I could sit here, I could sit here for five days and tell you what's great about the division. I, I would uh, say uh, what I'm going to miss most, uh, you know, about it is uh, I'm going to miss our dens. Now, Sergeant Major says uh, our dens is like the original Tesla battery. If you're, <laughs> if you're in a bad mood or you're feeling, you know, down, all you got to do is go down to our dens and run our dens and it will charge you back up. Uh, that, that, you know, is hallowed ground for us um, down there. Uh, and, uh, you know, everything kind of, you know, starts from there. So this division uh, is, a, is a special division. I, every division commander will probably say that about their formation. But there's something about the 82nd that's the engine for change. Uh, and there's something about the 82nd uh, that um, there's just something there. And it's because we throw ourselves out of aircraft. We count on each other. Uh, you know, at our worst moments, it's just us on a drop zone someplace. Um, and uh, it's just been a 
awesome to be part of. Um, I'm sorry I can't give you like specific vignettes because I wouldn't do any of them justice. Right. All as I, all as I know, I've been blessed to be part of it. Yes, sir. And I, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm with you, sir. I got the chance to serve there. Yeah. And um, you know, I come back uh, just always as you've been talking throughout. Is the people are special, and uh, you know, and ultimately, um, I think that's part of the, the what makes doing a hard profession. Uh, so so awesome is doing hard things with great people. We should pay our jump masters and non-commissioned officers like just so much money. It's out of it's just the, what they do and the tasks that they take on, and the responsibilities they have inside of an aircraft. And then when they hit the ground, what they're leading. Any day, put me in put me in a foxhole with uh, you know PFC Hardman out of the 82nd or. Staff Sergeant Hardman or, you know, uh, Sergeant Major Hardman. And I know I'm in perfect company. Yeah, roger that, sir. I will. Sir, thanks for your time. Yeah, I appreciate Airborne. it all the way. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's Leadership Laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash j-r-t-c. We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts, and be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.